Welcome to Katie's Crib, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Just a quick disclaimer, this episode was recorded pre-pandemic. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let is that maybe your baby? Did I even mess up the lyrics already? Guys, welcome back to Katie's Crib. Today, I want to strip down our vulnerabilities, pun intended, and I need to talk about sex. I'm sure many of us have burning questions on our minds, so I want to be open in discussing sex in a very healthy and informative way. Yes, I did just sing that incredible song, but there is, it is a very vulnerable, triggering topic. I've invited Dr. Shannon Chavez to join me. She is a nationally recognized expert, therapist, and educator specializing in all things sexuality. Yes, please. Including help for men, women, LGBTQIA, and couples. Dr. Chavez utilizes a mind-body approach to sexual health and wellness and will help address some of my freaking questions because I've got a lot of them. Hi, Dr. Chavez. Hi, Katie. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Honestly... This podcast is such a, a, a gift in my life because meeting a sex therapist uh, has been on my to-do list for years. And see, now I just get to use Katie's crib to like make it happen. So like, thanks so much for being here. <laughs> um, can you tell us what you do? What the heck is a sex therapist? Yes. Sex therapy is a type of psychotherapy that focuses on sexual health, sexual concerns, maybe people learning about their sexual identity. And then also a lot of it's coaching and education because let's face it, how many of us actually had decent sex ed? I mean, even if you did have a great you know, open relationship with your parents where they like had conversations with you and not just like one conversation, like the birds and the bees situation. And an uncomfortable conversation. I know my mother was terrified and uncomfortable, which then people see and then you get this idea that sex is scary or uncomfortable or Or bad or wrong or you're in trouble, dirty. Exactly. Um, Do you work mostly with individuals or couples? Kind of all of it, even throuples, people that are in polyamorous relationships that have more than one partner. I would say it's basically anyone and everyone. And it doesn't have to be a couple in a relationship because people have sexual issues even outside of of coupleships. So I think it's about any aspect of sexuality. And because so much of it is education-based, it's about learning about your body, body image, being able to know how all of these parts work. I mean, living in this culture, how do we not feel some sort of shame around sexuality? Absolutely. In my, my, my history of this, like I had a miscarriage and then, you know, it took me a while to get my period back to a regular place to try, start trying again to have a baby. And I went to a, a fertility acupuncturist and she was explaining to me the difference in my discharge to f- when I was ovulating. I was so horrified that like, I didn't know that on my own because we're not educated about our bodies and like what's going on. And she was like, well, when is it egg white and yolky? And when is it clear? And when is it this? And that means that, and that means that. And I was like, holy shit. I don't like, I don't know about my own body at all. 
Right. And we're not taught these things. We're not taught these things or we're uncomfortable talking about these things, especially discharge. Discharge, guys. Hashtag discharge. Anybody interested in that hashtag? Hey, what's going on with you down there? You know, here's where I'm at this week. But we should. I mean, I get so many questions from women that are, is this normal? What should it smell like, feel like? All Look of these like things. colors. Oh my gosh. And it's, you know, discharge is a good thing. So hashtag discharge yeah. is good. Like, come on, guys. Healthy sex life, it comes from healthy discharge. You're yes. welcome. Um, can you talk Talk to me about this. I was very interested in this mind-body approach to sex that you have. Sounds amazing. You know, it's it's a lot simpler than maybe people may think. I think we we think a lot about sex. I mean, we are the only species that intellectualizes sex to the point where we plan it and we think about what it should look like and fantasize, but almost to our detriment because we do it to the point where we develop these mental barriers. Do I look okay? Does it look sexy enough? Am I doing it right? We focus on all of the mechanics. So what I try to get people to do is kind of relax into your body to let go of the expectations and the goals and, you know, what my genitals are doing and just really enjoy a sensory experience of pleasure. So that is about listening to your body. I mean, maybe your body doesn't want to be touched there or it likes to be touched in a place that you wouldn't really think that is your pleasure zone. So it's about connecting with the body, slowing down, getting out of the monkey brain because we're all kind of there in these stressed, overworked lifestyles. So we carry that into our sex lives. And people are distracted. They're bored. They're not feeling excited about pleasure. So mind-body work is really about kind of getting them to Like where you would get in like a yogi sort of state where it's like you are connected to your body and being at this place in this moment, not for any sort of agenda or to-do list and quieting your mind. God, I can't even... I mean, if you think about it, sex is really primal. We are animals just like any other species. You know, we need to use our senses to get turned on. Our sense of smell is our strongest sense when it comes to desire. Is that true? Yes. So when people talk about pheromones... I feel like people are talking about smells, maybe. Or is that something else? What does a pheromone mean? Well, Someone pheromone go back. is interesting. So pheromones actually don't have a scent, but they evoke emotion. We have receptors in our nose that if we pick up a scent of a partner and we have a good pheromone match, we actually may feel attraction in chemistry. If you've ever been around someone, maybe on a a really bad first date and you just realize you kind of cringed around the person, it may be scientifically that you're a bad pheromone match. Yes, and also I've hooked up with dudes who I've been like not into physically. Like I'm not attracted to them. Like I wouldn't pick them up off the street. I wouldn't pick them. I mean, I definitely wouldn't, but I wouldn't pick them up (laughs) at a bar or whatever the hell. I've definitely had a thing where like a dude has kissed me and I've been like, holy shit. Like I want to eat your whole face body off. Like I can't fucking take you enough. Like, yes. And it was like a, it was an animalistic pheromone thing. Yes. That's exactly what it was. Thank you, science, for giving us this. Yes. Um, (laughs) This mind-body approach, um, do you feel like it really helps your couples and your individuals achieve sexual satisfaction? I do, actually, because I think people come in and they're stressed out. You know, when I hear people say, I don't have time for sex, I'm tired, I have too much to do. Doctor, I don't have time for sex. Help me. (laughs) Therapize me right now. What do I do? think about this. If someone said, hey, you're going to go on a vacation, you're going to go to a spa for a week, we get excited about that. We don't say, oh, what a grueling task. So we 
Think of it as something that's going to be relaxing, rewarding, and we're motivated to do it. But sex has become a chore in work because I think, again, those expectations. We have to get turned on, have an orgasm. A penis has to get hard. I have to get lubricated. And because there's so much to do. Work involved. It feels like work. And I think sometimes sex can be, let's just get naked and play around. You know, play, adult play is really what sex is. Like, I don't know when it started to be a thing where like, Every time you're intimate with your partner or somebody, it has to involve penetration and it has to involve orgasm on both parties to to be able to check it off the list that like we bone. I love the word bone, guys. Um, Bone town is what I like. Go on a bone (laughs) town. Um, Why? It's such a shitty thing. Like, it just sucks because I really enjoy a lot of things that aren't that. Exactly. And most women, less than 10% of women can orgasm from penetration alone. Is that true? Yes. Ladies, are you hearing this? (laughs) It's all about the clitoris, which the majority of the clitoral anatomy is external. So we need friction. We need tongues, fingers. Yes. I hear that that a lot from my clients. Can I get some more fingers in my (laughs) life? And it's just a thing that I think we need more of. So I completely agree. Intercourse is overrated. It's been the focus of sex. If it doesn't happen, it's the main course for a lot of people. And on average, the average intercourse lasts maybe five minutes. Wow, guys, this is a epic <laughs> podcast for me today. So thus far, we have learned less than 10% of women can achieve orgasm through just penetration just alone penetration. of the penis. And that... That the majority of our clitoris, and I wear this necklace to show people what the clitoris really looks like. Wait, what? Guys, I will be taking a photo of this. I will be posting it alongside this podcast. You're welcome. Also, it's gorgeous. It's more than just a button. People think it's this cute little button that you lick and stroke. It's the bean thingy underneath the hood thingy. It's got legs. It's got wings. It's got a shaft that you can stroke and becomes erect, just like a, I don't like to call it a little penis because I think it's a lot more vast than a penis. You know, it has 8,800 nerve endings and just the head itself. So a lot of women don't even know what this looks like. I've truly never (laughs) seen that. Like that looks like an umbrella. It looks like a wishbone or a wishbone times two. (laughs) That's incredible. Did you design that? Actually, a good friend of mine, she's an artist in New York. Her name is um, Sophia Wallace. And she's basically an artist who crib notes. This literacy. That is what she kind of promotes through her art is teaching women about the clitoris because it's our main organ of pleasure. And if we're not getting the right stimulation to our bodies, to the clitoris, our main organ of pleasure, then we're not having orgasms. We're not, we're not conditioning our bodies for good sex. So we probably are bored in the bedroom. We probably are feeling yeah, I disconnected can't. or checked out, especially if a partner's just really excited about intercourse and not giving us foreplay and not doing the things that our body needs to feel good. Now, my whole se- sexual experience post-baby has been a roller coaster. Whether you gave birth vaginally, through C-section, whatever, you carried a baby, your body has been used. It's just different, I think. Um, But I can remember talking with all my girlfriends about like, holy shit, have you been cleared by your OB? Like, you're allowed to have sex with your husband? Should you tell him? Should you not? How much booze do you need to get through this? (laughs) What the fuck are we going to do? And then I just heard buckets of lube, buckets of wine, and just pray. You know what I mean? Because a lot of us had had stitches and um, were scared. It was amazing and it was not bad at all. And thank God, if you have the right partner, thank you, Adam Shapiro. Um, It can be a great thing and not so scary, but like I was petrified. 
And even now still, like I, I get flashes in my brain of like breastfeeding my son during when we're hooking up. And I'm just like, ah, like, oh my God, what's happening? Like my body has been used for (laughs) so many different things. I've like fed and grown a human and this is insane. And like, um, is it bad to have those thoughts? I'm sure a lot of women have them. A lot of women have them. I mean, that is the norm. And I think the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it. Because if every woman is having it, it's part of the experience instead of a lot of women feel very isolated. Am I the only one who doesn't feel any desire? I mean, I don't want to be touched. I don't want my breast touched. I don't want anything to do with sex right now. There's a there's different components. There's the biological component. I mean, your hormone changes. Your body has gone through a major trauma. We don't really talk about that because women are so resilient, but it's, it's a trauma to the body. And trauma affects your nervous system. It affects your anatomy. It affects your mental and emotional health. And we just have to talk about that. What I find is that a lot of new moms don't have a lot of support. At all. At all. I mean, we don't talk about postpartum blues, which is no. 85% or more women, which let's just say pretty much every woman having a child God. is going to go through that. Unbelievable. And also when your doctor just clears you at six weeks, which is also insane that you literally go through a birth and the trauma of having a baby and you're allowed through insurance one doctor's visit. She like checks your vagina and she's like, good luck. And you're like, wait, what? Like, exactly. No consoling or, you know, prepping. Like, is my vagina going to be okay? Like, I don't know what's happening. Exactly. And what if I get hurt? And how am I supposed to think about this? And yes. Exactly. And I I think it's about taking it slow. So again, we don't want to jump back into old routines and patterns because your body has changed. You, I think this is a great opportunity to explore new ways to be sexual. Let's focus on outer course. <laughs> what? Tell me. Is outer course a thing? It's a thing. I mean, we want to focus on pleasuring the body outside, again, outside of intercourse. What are other ways you can pleasure? And it may start with just sensual touch and connection. You know, I think if a partner is so adamant on having intercourse and my penis needs to be a part of sex, then your partner needs to learn new ways to experience pleasure So as many well. finger snaps for that. <laughs> There's plenty of opportunity to find new ways to be sexual. And I think this is a great time to do that postpartum when you're healing, you're recouping, you're coping with the changes and adjusting to new mom life, which Mm -hmm. just is what it is. You're going to be tired. You're going to be touched out at the end of the day. And we just want to be able to say that's okay. What would you recommend for people to start with? Just starting with maybe just being in connection. Like an old school, straight up East Coast makeout. <laughs> maybe. Maybe like a nice <laughs> eye gazing session. Whoa. Yeah, maybe. There's stuff before making out. Maybe wow. some just like nice touching, maybe a little dry humping, not too much, not too, oh, uh, wow. you know, something small that just is pleasurable. The dry hump. <laughs> I'm all about the dry hump. I really think we should bring it back. Oh, my God. I haven't talked about a dry hump since probably high school or college. My clients hear about it a lot because, again, women need friction. And how many women will say, I had my first orgasm through a nice dry hump in high school? Yes. Also, can we bring this back? Ladies, let's bring back the dry hump. It's been a minute. I'm wow. What about this old wives tale? You can't have sex during pregnancy because the guy's penis or her strap-on or whatever the hell you're using or dildo is too big and is going to hurt the baby. (laughs) That is absolutely not true unless he has some... 
abnormally large penis that can, again, I I think that is just a myth. And this is a good thing to know. If you're fully aroused during sex, your vaginal canal actually elongates from three to four inches to six to eight. So it it elongates in order to allow uh, enough room for penetration. So I would say the only issue is if you're not aroused and you're just kind of tight and tense, then there may be a chance that your, your body's tense and it could be not only painful, lack of lubrication, but maybe it's uncomfortable more than anything. But I think there's just a lot of myth around, you know, the the baby's going to get damaged. And I think it's actually really great for women to have sex during pregnancy, again, for the hormonal fluctuations. It's good for your pelvic floor muscles. So there's a lot of benefit. Some women I know are like super horny Horny, during pregnancy. (laughs) Um, I mean, that was not my experience, but I do have friends that it was their experience, which sounds very exciting. The women who are nine and a half months pregnant who are having sex, I mean, power to them. Like that is incredible. Like, incredible. I don't even know what positions you would be in. Like, what the hell? You got to be really creative. There's actually sex books all about positions during pregnancy. Oh, that you recommend? <laughs> I can give you a list Great. of some books. We're going to put them in Katie's crib notes, links, guys, to the clitoris necklace. Yes. To books about what sexual positions are great during pregnancy. I, I'm going to read that if I ever get pregnant again. Okay. Um, tell me about how uh, partners can help post-baby. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about eye gazing, we talked about the dry humping. Um, but I, I do feel, I feel kind of bad for the partners. You know, I've never asked him, but I bet he, Adam was pretty freaked out too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he watched me do that. Right. <laughs> so I've like never asked him like, are you freaked out to have sex post-baby? Like, are you, Yeah. Actually, speaking from most partners that I've talked to in in therapy, they are scared. You know, I don't want to hurt you. Am I going to injure you? How should we get back to a place of being sexual? And so I think just have some open conversations about it. It's all about communication. And I know it may be uncomfortable and vulnerable, but you're both going through the same thing. You want to be able to come together as a team and figure it out. It shouldn't be only on you to figure out how do we kind of get back into a routine and, and maybe set some realistic expectations. Start slow and and build up to maybe a full sexual experience, but just start with maybe talking about sex. What do we want our sex life to look like now? What are our needs? What are our needs now? Because that's what changes most postpartum is your needs change. Do you find across the board that people with babies just have way less sex? Yes. What are we supposed to do about it? And that's okay. I think sometimes it's okay to take a sex break. I think our society puts a lot of pressure that we always have to be sexual. And I think all of that is subjective. You can be non-sexual and still be a healthy sexual being. So it's not always about frequency. It's about the quality of sex. So you can have one great quality sexual experience and maybe that fills both of your needs for a while. It doesn't have to be about keeping a schedule and we have to do this or we're the only couple not having sex every week, every other day, whatever it may be. This is a dream of a conversation because as you listeners all know, I'm like a super goal-oriented type A list maker. And so when (laughs) Uh, I get... How does that affect sex? (laughs) fucked. Oh, it's horrible. But when I sit here and I talk to you, I'm also someone who, because I'm an actor and artist, I do understand like being in the flow of something and letting go and and really understanding that that is a rewarding Mm -hmm. thing. But 
we have jobs, we're taking on the world, we're doing all this stuff. And then when someone says to you, well, you don't have a healthy sex life unless you check that thing off three times a week on some fucking list. You know, that is definitely in my head. And so I definitely had conversations with my girlfriends. Well, how many times are you doing it a week? Like, why is that the conversation? It sucks. The question should really be like, I had an amazing, like, dry hump last night. (laughs) I got fingered and you wouldn't believe it was amazing last night. Exactly. I agree. Because you can't really fail at sex. But we have set up these mindsets of either we're doing really well and doing it enough and succeeding or we're not. So it's this, you know, black and white way of looking at sex. And I think sex is not something we do. If we think of it like that, then it is going to be just another thing to check off the box or, uh, you know, something we have to get done. But I think of it as an experience. Every sexual experience is different. Even if you're doing it the same way in the same position, it's kind of like creative work. You know, our libido is really our life force. It has nothing to do with just being sexual. It's what we put towards things that we desire and we're passionate about. So sometimes we do put a lot of it towards our work or we put it towards our family, but it's just about what excites us, what gets that energy going. And I think with vacation, like you said, you get excited. You think about it. You fantasize about it. You start thinking about the food you're going to eat, all the pleasures of vacation, and that turns you on. And so that's what we need to do for sex is think about those things and be really mindful of what that is for us. How do you give tips to moms about increasing their sex drive? Like, do those pills at (laughs) 7-Eleven. Do not do those pills at 7-Eleven. All I remember is being a waitress here in L.A., and this girl was into those pills. Like this other waitress was like, oh, like my boyfriend's coming into town. Like I'm just stopping by 7-Eleven getting those pills. She will re- remain nameless, but they don't work, right? <laughs> you know, it'll give you a lot of energy, but you may be a little bit overstimulated. Oh, so it's basically like Adderall? It's basically it's just like an energy taking thing? a big energy. Oh, it's basically so like dumb. take drinking three cups of coffee. Right before you have sex. That would be horrible (laughs) for me. What a terrible mix. I would be jittering and tremoring. Yeah, I don't think that would be the most comfortable. But sometimes energy is a big issue. So let's talk about that. Because if you are fatigued and you're just completely zapped out at the end of the day, then it's going to be difficult to kind of get in the mood and get ready for sex. So often I tell people to really change it up. If you're always waiting till the last minute at the end of the day, I actually think end of the day is the worst time to have sex. I am in that category Goodbye, too. Good night. Don't talk to me. Even as a sex therapist, last thing I want to do is go home and think about having sex with my husband. So it, it's just about trying new ways to be sexual. Maybe you have a little bit, a little quickie here and there in the morning or just changing it up. I think we also need novelty in order to keep our desire going. We need to try new things. So we, as humans, need that. We need variety. We need to have things out of our routine. If we're doing the same thing every time. Not we're, good. Yeah, we're not going to feel motivated. Oh my God. I remember the first time someone said to me, Because I always had this problem. Like, there's nothing worse to me than, like, going out on a date for, like, a long dinner and then thinking you're going to have sex afterwards because you're, like, full. Exhausted. Feel gross. So bloated. I agree. Like, farty. Like, no. (laughs) Okay? So... Then someone was like, oh, yeah, like you just get the babysitter to come early and you hook up before dinner. And then like you have dinner and you like, no, you did that. And you're like, that's way better. That's what I would recommend. Sex before dinner, sex before the date. Yes. Sex before the date is great. Um, 
How do you recommend like spicing stuff up? Are you like a big proponent of toys and that sort of situation and bringing new thingies into the bedroom? I mean, who doesn't love thingies and toys? <laughs> I mean, they have so much great technology out there. So especially for our female bodies, there are devices that are designed for our body parts. And even most sex toys are not gendered. So you can use it on your partner. You can use it on any part of the body. So a vibrator doesn't have to be just something that you're using to elicit an orgasm. It's about finding ways to stimulate and sensually evoke the body. So I'm all about toys. And they, they get really fancy too. I mean, they have Bluetooth technology. Uh, they have these panty liner vibrators that you can what? put in and your partner can use an app to put it on while you're at the dinner. Yes. I mean, or even if he's out of state or travel. Traveling, it's they're pretty fascinating. Holy I mean, technology. Shit. We've come a long way from those ugly phallic jelly looking scary dildos from the past. Yeah, they were all like bunnies. They were all like the rabbit the or rabbits. whatever. Yes. yes. Um, where do people buy shit? You can get stuff online. There's some great websites to order online. But you know what I also would do? Find things around the house. That could be a sex toy. An electric toothbrush? There you go. I have not tried that, guys. That just came to my mind, I swear. <laughs> so hey. what are the things around the house? Uh, maybe, you know, a silk tie, something like a massager or a brush or things that can create different stimulation on the body. So it can be just any object that feels good. Some people like the feeling of leather. You can mm. use oils. You can use just things that are going to create a different experience. Love it. So anything can be a sex toy if you think about it. Um, what do we say to couples who don't prioritize sex? I hear a lot, which is very scary, is like you do not want to be in a sexless marriage or right. a sexless partnership, um, that that is like the fastest way for trouble, right. you know, um, for people to look elsewhere, right. for things to not be connected, to fall apart. So I know it's so important to prioritize it, but like, how do you do that? How do you do it? You know, the longer you go without it, the harder it is to get back. Kind of like any routine, exercise, eating well. And I think you got to start slow and start somewhere and let go of the expectations. So maybe you're not having mind-blowing, you know, Hollywood sex, but, you know, sex is really messy. Guys, I've had so much Hollywood sex, it's not that great. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. Right? It's ridiculous. I think the best sex is the unpredictable, messy, noisy, you know, you don't expect it and then it ends up being great. So I think we can prioritize it by remembering that it's good for your health. There's so many health benefits. Like it's, what? It's this a, is so LA right now. I love it. Tell me. <laughs> it can be a sleep aid. It releases oxytocin in the body. It strengthens and tones muscles in the body. It helps boost our mood because it's releasing natural painkillers in the body, endorphins, neurotransmitters that help balance our mood. It's good for your skin. So it gives you that nice wow. glowy flush because it's increasing blood flow circulation throughout the body. And this means sex in any way. Again, like there are benefits to it, whether you right. orgasm or not, whether it's penetration or not. Exactly. Because you're getting all the feel good chemicals. So it's, you know, no matter what's happening, orgasm is never the goal of sex. It, I call it a side effect of sex. It just kind of like a sneeze, a reflex, it happens, but it should never be the goal because oh. you can have, I mean, our bodies as women, we're designed to have multiple, multiple orgasms. Males can as well if they train their bodies, but, uh, you know, orgasm just kind of happens. Sometimes you have maybe a little one and other times maybe it kind of rolls and you have this nice one, but uh, they come in all shapes and sizes. It's never the goal. That was also very scary for me. I've heard also other women besides me of, of like losing their orgasm, um, especially after vaginal labor. 
but I just remember my orgasm being super weak mm-hmm. at the beginning because your muscles are so blown out or I don't know what the correct scientific term would be, but let's go with blown out. Blown um, out. And your nerves are, you know, the nerves change. And I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to get like, it was just like, wah, 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 wah. It wasn't like a, you know, like what I used to rock. Right. So, um, but I can say I have a two-year-old and it has built back up, but like I was scared. And again, I know this is just a goal that that it is, should not be the goal to have an orgasm. But, but I think when you have your fear, first ones right. after childbirth, I think you're like pretty freaked out. Your example is important because if you've had that trauma, no matter if you had a natural birth or not, all of the nerve endings, we have this huge nerve superhighway in our genital area called the pudendal nerve. And it's all multiple layers of nerves. So if you've had any bit of tearing or cutting, then those nerves are not only going to get damaged, but they kind of rewire. So you may say, I used to be touched here and I could be stroked here and have an orgasm, but now maybe it's a little bit to the right or lower. And so it's kind of important to recondition your body and your orgasm response post-baby because it, it's changed. The body is is rehabilitating and all of those nerves are reconnecting and maybe they're, they're still there, but maybe they're just in a little bit of a different place. So you have to kind of find what that is. Has it ever been impossible for women to just not ever get it back? Not necessarily. I think it just takes a little bit of patience and consistency. I call it vibrator priming, where I have women use a vibrator and really prime those nerve endings in the genital area, just as you would conditioning any other part of the body. But it gets them to fire and strengthens the response. Because I think they're there, but they're just maybe little blips of of firing, and we just got to get them rehabilitated. Right. So if you can be patient with your body and get a good vibrator, you are good to go. Thank God. When is it that you recommend sex therapy for an individual or a couple? It could be important for everyone and anyone because I think if we wait until there's a huge crisis, then it may be, there may be so many layers of what we're working through. When you can come in for questions, I mean, I have a lot of couples come in and maybe they just have a few questions. What's this? How does this work? What are some things we can do? Sex therapy is a lot more short-term and solution-focused than maybe traditional psychotherapy where you're coming in and processing and kind of leaving, feeling worse than when you came in. I would say sex therapy is a lot more focused on figuring things out. So here's the problem. Here's some things to do. Try this. There's a lot of homework. What would be homework? Like, what would be an example of homework? Like, people go and you, like, tell them to do certain... I may have them do some sexual interest inventories to figure out things they like. I do a lot of sensate focus, which is a series of exercises that focuses on non-demand touch and getting them to get rid of the goals around sex. And it's a progressive series of exercises around massage, sensual massage. So it could be something like that. Or I'll have them maybe get out of the bedroom and do things around the house and kind of get that sexual energy going. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, get out of the bedroom. Get out of the bedroom. You know, dancing is another one, you know, kind of just getting your body moving because that's really how we get our libido flowing. If we're just kind of going from stress day to in the bedroom, now I have to be naked and on and, you know, we got to kind of move our bodies and get ready for sex. So there can be little exercises that can help couples just get in their body embodiment. And, oh, I and like feel... this homework a lot. <laughs> so like it's asking each homework. other like what? No, it sounds amazing. It can be really beneficial. Um, how do you empower more women to openly address their concerns with their partners? Like, I feel like 
couples, especially people who have been together a long time, I don't know why it gets harder to really talk about these things. What do they, do you write it down? Mm -hmm. I think with couples communication, less is more. Because often we go in with maybe some nerves and uh, vulnerability and we feel, we just kind of put it all out in the open and it's kind of messy. A partner may say, well, what's the real issue? What should we be doing? A lot of male partners may go into solution mode. All right, let's fix the problem. So I I like the idea of having some maybe bullet points of what you want to discuss. Let's talk about maybe our expectations, what we were looking for, what we want, or let's just have a place to talk about our frustrations or our needs. So I think less is more in that. Let's just have a really direct conversation about it with no expectations. And maybe if we need to figure out a solution for that, we do that. But not having it all in one really long, intense communication. I see couples doing that, and that's too much. It it overwhelms, and then it also makes you want to avoid having that conversation again. Do you lead couples in this sort of work? I do. I I would say the base and core of all sex therapy is communication. Just learning the tools, learning how to reflect and listen, really understand. We're very reactive. You know, you may hear a partner say, I'm just not feeling sexual. And a partner may hear, you don't find me desirable. So there's so many misfirings and misunderstandings when it comes to communication. And we have to work on that to be able to put it all out in the open. Because if we can't be vulnerable and honest, then we're really not making any progress. And, And couples stay stuck. And maybe they, and I'll hear this all the time, we talk about everything, we're, we're great in every area of communication, but when it comes to sex, we don't know what to do. And I think it's because we don't have the language. We don't know how to talk about it. We put a lot of pressure on it having to be perfect, figuring it all out. And I would say every single one of us is going to have a sexual issue. It's just so common. So nobody's perfect when it comes to sex. Um, let's talk about porn. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I'm really interested in this this whole thing of like women have the feeling this need to perform or mm-hmm. be sexual in a way that people now see mm-hmm. a lot, which might not be what you look like when you're sexually enjoying yourself. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, but I'm sure also porn can be a wonderful tool for some couples to get turned on. It's a form of entertainment. I think porn isn't the issue, it's how it's used. And there's also a lot of it. And what I like about it as a tool for sex therapy is it can maybe expose you to different interests or, and again, knowing that it's entertainment, it's not real sex. It's like watching anything in the media. It's it's there to evoke a response. So we can use it to maybe help with arousal if you're finding that you can't get in the mood, or it can help evoke fantasy. Fantasy is a huge component of sexual health that people just don't engage in. And it feels good. Like role play? No, just kind of thinking about, you know, thinking about what? what Uh, My husband and I, we're both actors. We're like, um, no, like that feels like a job. Like we are not, but I'm sure it's really works for other people. But like the idea of like putting on a fucking costume (laughs) with an accent, I'm just like, what? I do this in my, like I get paid to do that. Like that's like just not for me, but I'm sure it completely works for other people. Women can have can think themselves off. So we have this ability to use fantasy to evoke an orgasm. So I think it's a powerful part of our sexual response. That is very true. We don't even have to be touched. So I think permission for fantasy and and fantasy could be anything. You know, my fantasy is my husband cleaning the kitchen and coming (laughs) home and every, you know, we call that chore play. I mean, there's so many ways that a fantasy can help. It doesn't have to be about a sexual act or a position, but more about what are the things that turn you on that excite you that you can use as material to help your sexual response turn on. Wow. Um, 
So I guess I'm pro-porn, I would say. Pro-porn, but there's some really bad porn out there too. So yeah, like (laughs) Like anything. Like all all entertainment. (laughs) Um, What key advice could you give to struggling moms out there? To uh, remember to love yourself and be patient with yourself no matter what. And that you're not... You're going to make me cry. You're not alone. (laughs) And you are an amazing, resilient human being. You know, women uh, don't get enough credit for what they go through. In, in life, you know, handling things, going through pregnancy, going through childbirth. I mean, it's a really beautiful, creative part of our existence. So I think my tip for, for new moms is to just to love yourself, no matter what stage you're at. You know, love your body where it's at and all the changes. I know it's easier said than done, but it, it's really a practice. I think that's what mind-body work is too, is it's a practice. When you look in the mirror and you constantly are criticizing your body because it used to be this or our sex life used to be that, and we got to let go of what it used to be because it's never going back there. And we don't really want it to go back there. I mean, you have the opportunity now to be where you're at and explore and expand. No, it's really an amazing, like, you know, taking the I'm an actor in Hollywood out of it. It's an incredible thing to see like what my body's done over four years. Do you know what I mean? Where I was before where my pregnancy was, where I was after, where my boobs were at. I used to do fittings with Lynn Paolo, who is a very amazing costume designer on Scandal. But she, I would have four different size bras in my trailer because if I fed him, I was a B. If it had been three hours since I'd breastfed him, I was a double D. Like my boobs were astronomically insane, like superhero shit. Like it was just like crazy. You know what I mean? But like, it's amazing because if you, think about that in your sex life. Like I breastfed for a year. And so sometimes you have sex and I had huge boobs. (laughs) Sometimes I would have nothing. Like it's just very, it's a very weird and also amazing thing that you do. And I think, yes, you have to love yourself instead of being, I was very hard on myself. I think all moms are. Looking at, looking at bodies postpartum. I love that social media is now putting a little light to that, you know, showing women's real bodies instead of these messages of, you know, snapping back to a perfect body. But it's it's just about, Please. it's just, it is, it's, it, those are negative things that if that's an influence in your life in any way to cut that out and then to find real bodies to look at. And I think even postpartum or not, I think this is important for body image in general for women's sexuality is to see different bodies and normalize that all bodies are beautiful. And I think that's such a big part of our sexuality is our body image. So we have to feel good about that no matter what stage and age we're at. And I think there's just so much about, I always think about sex as like, um, you know, I'm taking care of my marriage, I'm taking care of myself and I'm taking care of my husband, but I've just been so reminded from this and my, and my relationship and like my partner who I raised my son with and I would like everyone to be happy. That's so such a mom thing to like, I'm taking care of everyone and I'm fixing everyone and I'm making sure everybody feels good. But I think what I forget, and I'm sure I'm hoping there are other moms out there that feel the same, but I think it's like, I have to be like, no, like sex is really good for me and like for taking a break, even if it's 15 minutes, even if orgasm is not reached, even if penetration doesn't happen. Like this is really good, Mm -hmm. not only for everything we've talked about, but it's good for my skin. (laughs) It's good for my... (laughs) I'm going to sleep like a baby. You know, Oxycontin, not Oxycontin. (laughs) What? No, it's not good for that. Oxytocin. Oxytocin. Um, Which you also get from breastfeeding Mm -hmm. and males also produce more oxytocin postpartum. So 
Yeah, the biology is just fascinating, it's isn't amazing. it? amazing. <laughs> and also how wonderful sex therapy is that it exists and is out there for people to just spend some time right. on their sex right. life. I mean, I was, I grew up Catholic, so I know the whole shame, don't touch, don't masturbate. So a lot of my motivation going into this work was to heal the shame. You know, if we can't feel excited about sex, then how are we going to make it a priority in our life? And we need to explore and find the creative ways to be sexual because we do that in other areas of our life. Why not have a creative sex life as well? Amazing. Cheers to that. <laughs> um, I just want to say thank you so much, Dr. Chavez, for coming on Katie's Crib and for gifting us with your time. I have been very, very, very excited about this topic and for singing uh, Let's Talk About Sex, Baby, for a long time. Um, <laughs> in the Cribs notes, there will be a link to Dr. Chavez's site, and we'll also link like books you recommend, um, toys you recommend, anything will be so helpful. Perfect. To all of us moms out there. And I offer complimentary consultations over the phone. So 15 minutes if you have questions. Oh, my God. Guys, I'm going to book mine <laughs> right now. So I got to go because Adam and I will be having a 15-minute consult at the very least. Um, because this was wonderful and so eye-opening. And thank I you. really thank you so much for coming on Katie's Crib. Thanks for having me. Thank you all for tuning in to Katie's Crib and for your beautiful messages and reviews. I absolutely love connecting with you and hearing your stories and questions. So email me at katiescrib at shondaland.com. We may just feature you on an episode. So hit me up. Thanks, guys. Katie's Crib is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Oh,